sweet friends. Welcome to the Imperfect Success Podcast, the podcast teaching you a success-driven perfectionist how to achieve your goals imperfectly. Today, I'm sitting down with Casey Davidson, who is a sobriety coach all about helping high-achieving women drink less and live more. Something we've never talked about on the show is the relationship between high-achieving and alcohol. And I've been wanting to cover this for so long because stopping drinking or at least vastly diminishing my drinking has been one of the best decisions I have made when it comes to feeling better on a daily basis, lessening my anxiety, feeling like I'm putting less stress and pressure on myself and getting out of people pleasing. And boy, oh boy, did KC deliver on this. So let's dive in. My name is Nicole Baker-Holliman. I'm a coach for perfectionists, a recovering perfectionist herself, and a striver of imperfect success. One of the things I hear from a lot of people when they talk about getting healthier or um, wanting to sleep better even or have better habits is I want to stop drinking as much, especially high achievers, especially women who are in, you know, the corporate world or who are, you know, in situations where drinking is definitely glorified. It can feel terrifying to even lessen drinking for us, which is why having Casey on the show today was the biggest blessing in the entire world. I actually saw her speak at a panel when I went to a big podcasting conference a few weeks ago, and she was talking about collaboration and vulnerability being on podcasts. I was so freaking moved by her that the next day when we randomly sat next to each other at a different panel, I said, can I interview you on the show? And she just absolutely delivered. She's such a delightful person, and she came with bucket facts, y'all. She is so knowledgeable about the alcohol industry, about how lessening or stopping drinking is so beneficial for our mental and physical health. And I will just, I'm going to let her take it away and drop some effing facts to you all. Let's dive into this incredible conversation with sobriety coach, Casey Davidson. Welcome Casey to the podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I'm I'm touched. I'm honored with a capital H for you to be here because hearing you speak at Podcast Movement, I've said this to you about 45,000 times, but the big thing that hit me is just your ability to be incredibly raw and vulnerable. And when we're talking about something as, I I don't know if this is the right word, but shame-filled as drinking and becoming sober, this has like, especially in our society, a very like shame undertone to it. I couldn't imagine anyone better to be on the show. So speaking of which, what was your journey to becoming sober? Let's just start there. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that I'm trying to do with my podcast and the work I do is to sort of lower the barrier of entry to what quitting drinking means, to make it less shame-filled. Because at the end of the day, it is truly a health and lifestyle choice in the same way, you know, just to normalize it as someone who decides to become a vegetarian or a vegan right? You've decided to no longer eat meat because it doesn't work for you. It's something you believe in. It's something you want to shift in your life. And so you go to a dinner party and if they're serving steak, you have the sides or you bring your own meal or you go to a restaurant and you order what works for you. And in that way, deciding not to drink isn't 
the biggest deal in the world. It doesn't have to define you. And I think that's really important to know. In the same way, it is something that is so um, celebrated in our society as a privilege of adulthood, as something, you know, we've been taught our entire lives that drinking makes New Year's more special, that you need beer for football games, that you need wine for a girl's night out, that it brings you closer to your partner, that it's romantic, all these things, right? And so that's something that really needs to shift because absolutely up until this moment, there is this idea that there are alcoholics. And by the way, I do not use that word. Um, Interesting. It isn't even a word in the medical community, full stop. It's called alcohol use disorder, mild, moderate, and severe. Almost anyone who drinks on a regular basis is somewhere on that spectrum. The word alcoholic has existed for a long time, but really was popularized by Alcoholics Anonymous, which was created over 80 years ago by two white men. And it is a self-imposed label that has no medical diagnosis. Do you know what I mean? I do. Wow. You're blowing my mind here already, Casey. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> like, so I, I'm curious then. Well, well hmm. you said that everyone lays somewhere on this spectrum. Mm-hmm. What makes you say that? And can you give us an example of someone who's maybe on the I, you said low? Yeah, mild. Moderate? Mild. Mild, mild. Yeah. So on the mild end and who might not know, oh, I am on the mild yeah. end or even the moderate. Yeah. I mean, I think one thing that is very much shifting is um, the idea that we've been taught that moderate drinking is in fact healthier than not drinking at all. There was a study done, a single study 40 years ago that said that, that was funded by the alcohol industry, where they looked at people who drank, you know, two drinks a week versus people who didn't drink at all versus people who drank heavily. Now, the people who didn't drink at all, by and large, were people often with medical conditions, so they could not drink, or people who had drank heavily and had stopped because it was an issue for them. The people who drink maybe two drinks a week, just, you know, in terms of um, coincidence versus causality, tended to work out more. They tended to not have their entire social life revolve around drinking. They had other interests. Um, So mild, you know, would be to some extent someone who drinks within the recommended guidelines, which, by the way, are no longer the recommended guidelines. Yeah. Um, But they were one drink a day for women, seven a week, or two drinks a day for men, 14 a week, you know, quote unquote, no more than. Well, the new medical guidance is that three drinks a week for women increases your risk of breast cancer by 15%. And any drink over three drinks a week increases it by another 10% per drink. And up until three years ago, the American Cancer Society was saying one drink a week for women, two for men. And um, they knew this information. I mean, what blew my mind. And let's be clear. I drank a lot. I was a red wine girl climbing the corporate ladder with two little kids. Uh, drinking was my absolute favorite thing. And I was definitely on the like moderate to severe end of the spectrum. I drank 
a bottle of wine a night, seven nights a week if I was not trying to not drink, right? That is a ton of alcohol. Um, I was worried about my drinking. I was sort of vaguely hungover most days Mm -hmm. with a headache um, and a hangover. I tried to moderate every way I knew how to. Like I would sign up for 5.30 a.m., bar classes so I wouldn't drink too much the night before. I would sign up for running clubs at night so I wouldn't drink too much. I would switch from red wine to beer because I didn't like it as much. I would try to only drink on the weekends. You know, trust me, I was yeah. I was not a casual drinker. But there are a lot of women who are not casual drinkers either. I mean, my podcast, and we were talking about this, I I look at this as a sign of how many women struggle with this. My podcast is for sober, curious women. Um, has over a million downloads, right? If you yeah, are struggling with this, you are not alone. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh! First of all, congratulations. Your podcast is amazing. I've listened to it quite a bit. Um, what was the moment for you? The like, no more. I'm done. Yeah. Or was it a moderate change? What was that? What yeah. was the change there? I mean. I think as well for most of the women I work with and who listen to my podcast, they have not had giant external consequences from alcohol. Mm -hmm. High achieving, a lot of them are married with kids, working. Um, You know, I often, we were talking about this earlier, a lot of women who drink a lot have this sort of uh, perfectionist, high achieving slash people pleasing Um, persona that makes it really easy to drink, to turn off your brain. So for me, it was like the death of a thousand cuts, right? Mm -hmm. I had been worried about my drinking probably since my son was like six months old. And like a lot of women, what opened my eyes was a book. So I bought Mm -hmm. this book by Carolyn Knapp on my Kindle, read it completely secretively, like I would read it, and then I would open up like five other books. So it would be pushed down in my queue in case my husband randomly looked at what I was reading, which is ridiculous. So if you're like, oh, if you're doing this, you might actually be worried about your drinking. But it was called Drinking a Love Story. And there was a picture of a woman with red wine on the cover. And just from the first words, I was like, oh my God, that's how I feel about it. Like, I loved it. I loved the way it made me feel. I loved the way, you know, it's really interesting substance. It's this combination of a sedative and a stimulant, right? It spikes your dopamine really hard, high, but it also decreases your brain function. Like, it's so interesting and it enters your bloodstream really, really quickly. So it is definitely a drug. And it is addictive. Nobody talks about that. It's addictive in the same way that cigarettes are addictive. You go into withdrawal when you're not drinking and it affects your brain and your body to the point where spikes your stress hormone. Absolutely. It actually makes you more anxious. It um, spikes your dopamine really high to the point where your body regulates your dopamine lower, which is sort of your happy hormone. So you are not imagining that you are less happy when you are not drinking. You, in fact, are more irritable, more anxious, less happy because that's what the substance has done. And you crave it to bring yourself back to that normal. So for me, I mean, constant hangovers, 
trying to moderate and not being able to moderate. Um, I, you know, would always, you know, in the back of my mind as it, you know, started with a glass, started with two glasses, started with dates with my husband. Once I had kids, it took off. And that's because. Oh, interesting. Yeah. It happens for a lot of, lot of women. So before you have kids, you typically are very independent, high achieving. Um, I could do, I worked hard. Uh, my husband were like dual income, no kids. We did, I had Pilates, I had girlfriends, I had guitar lessons. I had lots of interests. Once I had my son, I went from work to running out of the office at 545 to pick him up before daycare closed at six to coming home and needing to do food and bed and bath and babies are humbling. They scream at you, right? You're giving them everything you have and they are just often never satisfied. Like it is, it is a slog that very few people talk about. And a lot of women find drinking is something they can do while multitasking, right? You're feeding your kid like the, the bashed up bananas and he's throwing it all over and you're having a glass of wine. You rock him to sleep and he's screaming upstairs and you're trying to do sleep training and you have a glass of wine. You're playing your 20,000th game of Candyland and you have a <laughs> glass of wine, right? Yes. And then you finally go to sleep from like triaging life. Your kid finally goes to sleep and you sit down either with your spouse or partner or with your computer more likely to jump back onto work. And you're like, I deserve this wine. And it's just a slippery slope. Sorry, was that well, on top? No, no, no. I, I have a follow-up question on that same fr- I love this. Like, so one of the things I'm noticing on, especially with Instagram and Reels and TikTok right now, is this idea of like mom's like you're saying, deserving that glass of wine. And it is generally, I'm seeing it a lot more on like the mom side of Reels and and TikTok. But it's this glorification of motherhood and drinking. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this because I've got many. Yeah. But I I really want to give you the mic here and you just go on a rant because I'm really curious. No, I've actually done a couple episodes on the marketing of alcohol to women, including through influencers. and. Um, as part of that, I did a deep dive into influencer culture where there are entire articles about how to pick the right influencer to sell alcohol and how that is a great way to do it. So basically, influencers make jokes about kids, life, how hard it is, right? And they will immediately get clicks and they're very relatable, and it makes them be every woman. I mean, Trader Joe's for back to school literally had cases and cases of wine when you walk into the store with a sign hanging from the ceiling that says, get your back to school supplies here with like arrows down to the cases of wine. And it's wow, Molly Sims in particular, um, not to call someone out, but I'll call her out. Um, Adam, (laughs) you know, constantly is posting about, you know, just huge glasses of red wine with three kids, how difficult it is. 
uh, Tropicana did an entire ad campaign, um, what they hoped was an online viral ad campaign with like four celebrities. That was having them hide a Tropicana um, refrigerator in like, for example, the laundry hamper or the bathroom or the garage to drink, to have your mimosa moment. And people actually, you know, there was enough of a backlash to it to be like, you are promoting parents hiding alcohol to drink you know, and it's just a thing. So people do it. It's relatable. There's a there's a group on Facebook I saw that was like, mommy needs vodka had 3 million people in it. Um, I think that lots of people struggle with this. And the way that you justify that this is no big deal is you surround yourself with people who are doing it too. Yeah. Oh, what are it, your thoughts on it? You had well, lots of thoughts. Very similar thoughts. It it, it saddens me and I'm seeing a lot of pushback on it, which makes me really excited. But it, it does sadden me that it's this idea that life is so hard that you have to numb out. And my personal experience with alcohol when, you know, like college and my early 20s was solely to numb out my anxiety. Mm-hmm. I was a very anxious person, panic attacks on the reg. And that was my way of numbing my emotions. Now, was it probably making my panic attacks works? Absolutely it was. But it was it was my quote unquote coping mechanism. And you know, I grew up in a very like no alcohol household. My it was rare when my parents drank. Um and when they did, my alarm bells went off. Like something's wrong. Oh God. And I I took that as like, okay, like alcohol is bad and forbidden. And then one day the slippery slope happened. So seeing these posts about like, oh, kids are so hard that I need a glass of wine. I'm, I'm not saying I'm against a a treat yourself moment. I'm very much for a treat yourself moment. But like a self-care moment is all about treat like caring for self. And if that means having like for me, I'm, I'm a queen of a half a cider. I love a half a cider, not a full cider, a half a cider, because that's basically what I can do now and just like feel like I, it just tastes really good. Mm-hmm. But for me, like doing more and having it as a, you know, um, like a you're so difficult that I yeah. need to relax. Like It just sends a weird message that I'm not a fan, personal fan of. Yeah. Um, and I know a lot of people aren't either. Now, I love the again, I love the idea of a self-care moment, but like how about a massage or yeah. a, you know, or a, fi- like, well, actually, so I was going to ask like mocktails, you know, the mocktail industry is fucking exploding yes. right now. Yes. Like curious elixirs I with love it. bars. I do too. I love it so much. And, um, I'm curious, like, what are, what are your thoughts? Have you tried curious elixirs or, or an equivalent? I have sub-board? tried them all. I actually have a course <laughs> called the sobriety starter kit and I've got a 40 page guide to the best non-alcoholic options out there. I mean, beer, wine, spirits, you can get non-alcoholic tequila and vodka and yeah. uh, everything else. You know, there's kombucha, there's hop waters, there's mocktails, and it's really, really amazing. And by the way, the only reason it's exploding is because there's demand there. Yes, um, exactly. Every major alcohol company, Corona, Guinness, you name it, are having to come out with 0.0 or 0.5, which is essentially non-alcoholic yeah. versions. Um, I've tried them all. My absolute favorite is Athletic Brewing Company. I mean, they have nailed the non-alcoholic 
uh, beer market. Um, and it tastes incredible. There are some really good non-alcoholic um, spirit uh, spirits, but I was always sort of a, a you know, sparkling wine. There's Shirley mm-hmm. Brute. Um, that's amazing. Groovy is another company. They have a non-alcoholic Prosecco and Bubbly Rosé. So there is good stuff out there. And the thing that I love to see is that, so the heaviest, heaviest drinkers are baby boomers. I mean, crazy. Why do you think that is out of curiosity? Why why. Do you think that is? So they're baby boomers, then Gen X. I'm a Gen X. Heavy drinkers. Millennials drink less than those two. And then Gen Z drinks significantly less than their parents or grandparents did at the same age. And so what we didn't know back in the day was what alcohol does to your mental health and your physical health. And so literally when I was growing up, there was this idea of the French paradox and that red wine was healthy for you and it was good for your heart. It was sophisticated. There was cocktail hour with my grandparents. My parents had a bottle of wine on the table every single night. And then there was the giant push of mommy wine culture. And younger generations, one, they know about the mental health implicate. I mean, we didn't talk about anxiety and depression and panic attacks, certainly not with my parents. But, you know, when I was growing up, we didn't. Um, We didn't talk about therapy. And they know about the mental health. They also, I think, you know, one of the positive things about social media is, you know, a negative and a positive. Kids and young adults are very, very aware that one negative moment could really impact their lives. And so when I was in college, we were doing keg stands. I was on the women's rugby team, you know, bongs. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like all the things drinking to pass out was the goal. Same. Um, You know, these incredible college students now don't think that's attractive, which goes, you know, and they know about the the degree to which alcohol is involved in, in sexual assault and both men and women are worried about that. So it's, it's really, really helpful. Um, but the, the highest growth of, you know, populations drinking is high achieving women, like incredible spike in binge drinking. Um, really? And mothers. During COVID, yeah. binge drinking among women went up 41%. Binge drinking among mothers with parents of kids under the age of five went up 323%. Holy hell. And they were, you know, now you can have alcohol delivered to your house. But the problem is there is a very real health effect that nobody talks about. So the death rate, not to be a downer, from alcohol-related causes typically increases at 2 to 3% a year. That's general what happens. The year after COVID, it jumped 25%. The death rate, people are dying in their 40s from alcohol-related causes. And these are not people on the street. These are high-achieving women with little kids. We'll get back to the show in just a second. But before we do, I have a quick request. If you've ever gotten any value from the show and you want the show to continue to grow, to continue to address different areas of perfectionism, and to access bigger and more knowledgeable guests, my simple request is for you to leave us a rating and review. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, those ratings and reviews do go a long way in attracting more podcasters and bigger guests to the show. Plus, candidly, it's like the biggest hug that you can give to 
your favorite podcasters. I'd love to see a rating and review from you. And if you're an overachiever, like basically everyone who listens to the show, and you want to take a screenshot of your review after you post it, you can share it to your own social media audience and tag me. I'm at Life Coach Baker. I will literally love you forever and share it with my audience too. So again, if you haven't already, please give us a quick rating and review. It really does help. All righty, let's get back to the show. Well, I want to I want to talk about the high achiever nature of this yeah. real quick. Why do you think, you know, you mentioned like perfectionists, high achievers, and and people pleasers. Why do you think alcohol plays such a significant role? I I, I personally see it very much in in like the people pleaser nature. Like I know when I was first starting to, because I cut I cut drinking off like of like a tether. I just cut it completely for I think six months to a year. I can't remember the exact amount of time. It honestly is kind of a blur, but. Then I brought it back in a very, very simple, uh, decreased way. But I remember when I did cut it off, the biggest thing I was nervous about was going out with my friends and feeling pressured. Yeah. And none of them were actually pressuring me. Yeah. It was like I told all of them that I was doing this. And they're like, oh, good for you. I should probably do that too. But I was so afraid yeah. of feeling like I needed to be a part of the crowd. So I'm curious as to what you think with especially high achievers and people pleasers. Yeah. How does alcohol play a nature how it play a role yeah. in this in this I society? Mean, it definitely does. So I'll I'll talk about myself, but it also relates to the women I work with. So high achieving people pleasers have a very hard time saying no. They <laughs> typically have unending to-do lists. They have overflowing schedules. They desperately don't want to let their colleagues down, their bosses down. They feel like they can do things better than other people more quickly. But at the same time- How dare you at me? I know, right? How dare you at me like that? I know. Me too, right? I always say I'm a recovering people pleaser and an ex-corporate ladder climber. Those are my two things. But boundaries are hard because you don't want to feel like you're a slacker. You don't want people not to like you. And then often, just speaking for myself and women with children who are working, that gets amplified by 100% because there is such pressure to both be kicking ass at work and freaking be the art docent at your kid's school, which I've never done and go on the field trips. But I see other women who do it. And I'm like, how? I mean, you know, trying to get out of work at 430 to get to your kid to his t-ball practice while answering emails, jumping back on at night, and you never feel like you measure up. There is absolutely a mommy penalty at work that you try to try to compensate for. And yet, drop your kid off at daycare and he's crying and it's heartbreaking. And, you know, I used to be, my kid was the first one dropped off and the last one picked up. I was a director at a Fortune 500 company and I made a lot of trade-offs with that. So the issue is that typically women go, 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 go. And then, you know, especially if you're a perfectionist, high achieving, you come home and you want to downshift really quickly, right? You do all the things with the kids and then you're like, I have two hours to take care of myself. And so the easiest, fastest way to downshift is to drink. Um, And you want a Band-Aid so you can keep doing it all. I think Ann Dowsett Johnston, she wrote the book Drink. She calls wine the the modern woman's steroid, you know, allowing her to do it all. And Oh, right. God, that's that hits in the gut. Wow. Yeah. And if you don't know, you think it's helping you because it does hit your system immediately. It does 
shut off that like ticker tape in your mind of like, I can't relax because what about the business trip and this and that? And oh my God, it's spirit week at school and I'm going to kill myself. And it will shut down your mind. But the problem is it fuels anxiety. Um, Most women who drink a decent amount wake up at 3 a.m. And any woman listening to this knows that that's because alcohol kind of helps you pass out. Um, Someone described it to me as it's like you're driving through mud. So you start, you're driving along on a road, you hit the mud, the mud is alcohol, it slows you down. So you hit the gas, your body hits the gas. And then when you come out of the mud, when the alcohol leaves your body, you're screeching forward. That's the 3am wake up. Your mind is racing. You are you're probably sweating. I feel like I'm I'm always sweating when it the three a.m. wake up. I'm always like, why am I so hot? God, God <laughs> like, right? I used to wait. You only know once you know, right? I didn't know for a long time, and I would go to my therapist and say, my job, my life, my work, my spouse, my kid. I and of course you lie about how much you drink, right? On the form, you're like eh, a couple drinks, couple times a week. I mean, no one's like a bottle of wine a night, seven nights a week. But um, she, I said, I have so I have three a.m. wake ups. I I'm so stressed out, and she prescribed me Ambien. So then I was drinking a bottle of wine a night and taking Ambien. So dangerous. You literally could go to sleep and not wake up. But I did that oh my for God. years. Wow. Oh my God. Okay. I want to, I want to talk about the role of therapy in getting sober for you. Well, actually first I have a first question and then I want to talk about that. When you were getting sober and when you see other women, especially like the high achieving women who tend to, you know, very all or nothing thinking they want to be sober or they want to be, you know, not very not sober. Like, you know, there's kind of like, there's no real gray area when it comes to the very beginning. What are some of the the unknown imperfect moments when it first oh, comes God, to getting sober. So many, so many. I mean, <laughs> the one thing I would say is that for the vast majority of women I work with, you don't actually want to stop drinking. I mean, for most people, it truly is a love-hate relationship. You love alcohol. You hate the way you feel in the morning. Like those are the two things. Um, you know you should stop, but you desperately want to drink, right? You have all these fears about what alcohol does for you. And like you said, if I don't drink, I'll be bored. I'll be boring. Mm-hmm. I'll be awkward hanging out with my friends. I won't be able oh, that's to a big relax, one. right? Oh, yeah. So what will people think? Will they think I have a problem, you know? And so they don't actually want to stop drinking. They want to feel better. And so the way I approach it is don't think about forever. Don't worry about like, do I really have a problem with alcohol? Do I have to stop? Am I a quote unquote alcoholic? Because you could stay in that debating place for a very, very long time. What I really love to do is to lower the bar on the decision to say, this is a health choice, like deciding to run a marathon, right? Like if you weren't a runner and you decided to run a marathon, you probably would sign up for a couch to 5K. For me, that's dry January, sober October, 30-day challenge, right? You probably would read some books on training or connect with people on the internet. You would probably ask your spouse for support or your partner, your best friend, like, hey, um, for your spouse, like, I'm going to go on a long run on Saturday. Can you take the kids? I'm not going to go out drinking on Friday night because I have to get up early. Uh, Will you pick me up? 
after my 12 mile run. Like your spouse doesn't need to do it with you to support you. So I'm saying all that because there's such a stigma around like, okay, the only people who stop drinking are alcoholics. Mm -hmm. Take a hundred day break. There's a good reason for a hundred day over 30 days. If that's crazy, just do dry January, just do dry July, just do sober October. You will feel better. But the idea is that this is a period of self-care. This is an experiment. You know what your life looks like when you're not, when you're drinking. So give yourself the opportunity to see how good you can feel without it, what new hobbies you might start, how much easier work might be if you weren't anxious, how much better you would sleep, how much better your skin would look, you wouldn't be bloated. And, but during that time, you actually need to lower the bar, right? You can't, most of us drink to tolerate the way our lives have been set up, our schedules, our responsibilities. So to stop drinking, you have to be able to decompress throughout the day. You have to set a boundary at work. Like I'm leaving work at six o'clock and I'm not going to check my email in the evening because I'm going to a yoga class because I'm going to bed at 9.30. I'm not going to bed at midnight after being on the computer so I can work out in the morning. Um, and probably get in a community and get some guidance. Um, that's how I did it. I actually had a sober coach. Uh, oh, wow. And yeah. I joined a group, um, read some books. Uh, one of the best ones is Quit Like a Woman by Holly Whitaker. Have you heard of that one? I have it, but what a great title. It's, I love that. It's a New York Times bestseller. Chrissy Teigen credits it with what helped her stop drinking. It's sort of a feminist manifesto on what alcohol, how women have been taught to drink in order to keep them small and quiet and to settle for less. Oh, right? I love that. Oh my gosh. I, I love that you mentioned, I just want to pull out this one little thing that you said, and that is basically along the lines of this is just you being curious. This is just you trying something out. You know, often uh, us high achievers, us perfectionists, we tend to think, okay, if I make this decision, it's how it is for the rest of my life and I can never change my mind and yada, yada, yada. Where it's like, I love this idea of 30 days, 100 days, just trying it out. And I just think we 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 lessen the pressure on ourselves yes. when we do that when we do that. It just it takes so much of the stress and the anxiety out of this is how I have to yeah. be for the rest of my life and I need to make sure everyone around me knows that da, 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 da. it's like it's just it feels like to me it's gathering data on what can like let's try this out as an experiment. Yeah. I love that. The other I thing go I would to, do go though, the, I would just say I just have to say it because I did this for years. Um do it as a health and wellness kick. Tell everyone you're doing it. Don't go on a diet. Please. Ooh. If you try, here's what most women do, and I did it, right? I'm going to not drink, so I might as well start working out seven days a week and finally lose the 20 pounds that I've gained because I've been drinking and get up at 5 a.m., et cetera, et cetera. Huge mistake. Because what alcohol is, in addition to everything else, it is your reward, right? There is yeah. a cue that is a hard day, 5 p.m., dinner out. And then it triggers your craving for alcohol, which is your reward. So sober treats are hugely important in the beginning. You need like a treat every day. And, what were some of yours? Out of oh, God. What were some I had yours? so many. So pedicures on Friday instead yes. of buying wine and going home. 
Um, I, you know, in, I did start running, but I did not go on a diet. So I bought myself new running shoes. Lattes were huge for me. Sushi takeout on the weekends. Nap. Ooh, I would never let myself nap. Um, I would go to the gym because they had childcare. I signed up. And sometimes I would just sit in the steam room or I'd read a novel on their leather chairs and then get like a protein, chocolate, peanut butter, banana smoothie. Like this is the time to spend some money and some resources Mm -hmm. because what you have to do is break up with alcohol first. And if you feel deprived, you're going to go back to it, right? You don't know if it's like you're starving, you're only eating salad, or you aren't drinking. Like either way, you're miserable. Well, and especially if you're if you're drinking, you know, like like you were saying, like a bottle of wine a night, like taking that money for me, it was cocktails and yeah. going out. I lived in Chicago and it was the height of the party scene area. So it's like I took the money that I would be spending until three in the morning and taking an Uber blackout drunk home. I took that money and instead put it towards for me, actually, it's funny, I did end up doing a diet along with it. I did whole 30 with it. But for me, it was putting the money towards food that made me feel really good. Mm-hmm. And that I, I, I agree with you completely, and I would not recommend that. I do think it worked for me because I had such a like, I'm fucking done, no more like come to Jesus yeah. moment. Um, but like, I, I also I also um, started at a gym. Now that I think about it as well, so like, I do, I love this idea of taking that money and putting it towards other resources that make you feel good. I saved oh, five hundred and fifty dollars my first thirty days not drinking, holy. over a thousand in two months, and. It's incredible what you can do with that. And it's worth it. I mean, you are going to feel better. The other thing I would say is you will, by definition, once you get out of this, you will have more energy. You will feel better. Um, In the beginning, your body is recovering. So you are going to feel really tired. You are in withdrawal and your dopamine levels are suppressed. You're going to be irritated. Last two to three weeks. After, you know, rest, nap baths, slow walks, stay away from drama. We talk about building your sober bubble. Um, After that, you're going to be great. You're going to be so much better. So just give yourself a chance to get through the worst part and see how good you feel without it. Oh, oh my God. I have one last question for you before we get into segments, Casey. And that is you've in your podcast, you're very open about your experience with therapy, especially at the beginning. Um, what are some other resources for someone who is listening to this conversation? And this was like the straw that broke the camel's back. Oh my God, I need to freaking do this. I'm ready to dive in other than therapy, or even I'd love for you to expand on the therapy journey, but what else is a resource for people to access? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people come in with Things that are, I mean, there is a reason that drinking works for you in the first place. Yes, it's socially accepted. It's pushed on you everywhere. Um, You know, it, you know, it's part of your friendships, all that good stuff. It's also addictive. But in addition to that, you know, I always ask women, what is the thing that you don't have to think about when you drink? Can you give some examples as to what people For me, it was my work. For me, it was like, I don't like my job. I am so, I mean, I left corporate America to become a coach, but in the beginning I was like, it is the only way I can stop thinking about my job and stop being stressed about it. For other people, it's their marriage. 
For some people, it's they have a high needs kid that's really difficult. For other people, it's social anxiety or a toxic relationship with their parents or something else. It it can be anything. Um, for some people, they've got a really good, beautiful life, but but they just are dissatisfied. They're like, is this all there is? Am I just supposed to put my head down for a decade because I have responsibilities? So in the beginning, what helps me? Shift your mindset about alcohol, about what it does for you. So by listening to this episode, you're starting to do that. There are incredible books. There's this entire category called Quitlet that's like chicklet, but it's for women quitting drinking. And oh my God. I actually have I have a guide on my site to the best Quitlet for women. Um, oh, we'll put that in the show yeah, notes for it's people fantastic. to access. Podcasts are fantastic. Um, mine and a bunch of others. There are so many podcasts uh, with women talking about the sober curious movement, which is fantastic. And then find, you know, on Instagram or on TikTok, just do hashtag sober curious, hashtag gray area drinking, hashtag sober. Um, the world is changing. There are lots of younger people. There are lots of women. There are lots of mothers, you know, out there talking about the fact that we thought alcohol would fix everything. And once you get away from it, you realize that you have been settling for like the smallest reward. You know, it's like, you don't need wine. You need help and support and a break and fun and fulfillment. And that's harder to get, right? Yeah. Oh, you're amazing. I'm going to put all the links to what you just said in the show notes, especially your podcast, especially the book list, because I I know for me when I first started this, filling my ears, especially filling my ears with people who were a step ahead of me in the no longer drinking Mm -hmm. and they were past the oh my God, white knuckle, this sucks. Like they were past that stage. Yeah. Was, I, I truly do believe that is what got me through that that time. So thank you. I will have all of those in the show notes. Speaking of things that are also going to include in the show notes, you have a free 30-day sober guide. Can you talk about that? Yeah, it is 30 tips for your first 30 days. And it's really comprehensive. It goes into what to buy at the store, how to stock up on non-alcoholic beverages, why you need a protein snack at 4 p.m. to how you will feel on day five and your first weekend and day 16, what to listen to, some mindset shifts. So it's a great place to start just because a lot of us are like, all right, I'm not going to drink today. I'm not going to drink until Thursday. And then they wonder why they break. I mean, there is a there is a playbook. Stop white knuckling it. You can make it easier. Oh, I can't. I'm going to check this out because I'm I'm so curious and I, I can't wait to to read up on everything you have, Casey. I always ask people the same two questions at the end of every conversation, and the first one is, "How were you a perfectionist this week?" Because we so often hear in the personal development world, "Oh, I woke up at five a.m. and I did all my like journaling for four and a half hours," and there's very much this high um, standard that we equate ourselves to. Let's bring it down and show how we are human. How are you a perfectionist? Oh, my God. I was laughing because I was talking to someone the other day. So picture this. I went to my eye doctor yesterday for my annual, you know, checkup or whatever. And 
you know, you look into the thing and you're supposed to like click this button whenever you see something in your peripheral vision. And I was concentrating so hard. I wanted an A plus on the peripheral. I wanted to hit every single one at the right moment. In fact, like at one point, I like hit it at the wrong time, just whatever. And I was like, oh, no, not that one. Like it came (laughs) grading me. It was so pathetic. And then afterwards, I was like, oh, my God. Oh my God. I love that so much. I also went to the eye doctor yesterday and I feel very called out because I had a similar moment (laughs) with like the retina, (laughs) you know, like it was like the retina, like, you know, scanning thing. And you have to like put your eye in this thing. And if you press hard enough, you get a red circle. And if you press a little too light, it's a yellow circle, but in the middle, it's a green circle. And I kept on like, you know, like, oh, I can't get the green freaking circle. And she's like, it's okay. I'm like, oh my God. My second question for you, Casey, is what is a goal you're either uh, in the process of achieving or have just achieved that we can celebrate with you? You know, as high achievers, we are not good at celebrating ourselves. So let's take a moment. I was hyperventilating. My daughter almost missed her bus because I was trying to take screenshots and text my mom. But a week ago, I was quoted in the New York Times five times. I was literally dying. <laughs> Can you send me the link? I'd love, 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 love to put it in the show yes, notes also. Oh my gosh. Books you should read if you want to drink less or take a break completely. And I talked about four of them. And I was just, I mean, you know, the, the reporter was like, oh, I hope you made it in. And so as, she, I, as I saw the link pop up, I was, you know, you know us, right? I was, yeah, oh, yeah. it's going to be okay if I'm not included. It's no big deal. At least I made a connection. And then I opened it and my daughter's side. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> so oh that was exciting. Yeah. Congratulations. That's so cool. Oh my gosh. Yes. Please send me the link. I'd love to include in the show notes because I want to read that as well. Casey, you are amazing. You are a gift to us all. I love your podcast. Can you please tell us all the things? Where can people find you? Where can they learn more about you? Yeah, absolutely. So my podcast is called the Hello Someday Podcast for Sober Curious Women. And my website is Hello Someday Coaching. And you can find me on Instagram at Casey, C-A-S-E-Y-M as in McGuire, and then Davidson. So I would love to talk with anyone who's interested. Trust me, you don't have to say, oh my God, I have an alcohol problem. You can just say, I want to reevaluate how alcohol is figuring in my life. Seems to be taking up a lot of mental space. You are such a safe space. Thank you for being that for people. Seriously. I'm just, I'm, I'm love, love, love. You're so nice. I love that you're talking about this because it still is like that third rail that no one wants to touch on. Oh yeah. (laughs) Oh yeah. Thank you. That means a lot. Casey, you're amazing. Thank you for being with us here today. Thank you. I kid you not, everyone run to go follow her on Instagram listen to her podcast, check out her free 30-day sober guide and all of the reading material. She was so amazing with giving us resource after resource after resource. Everything is in the show notes. And I just thank Casey from the bottom of my heart for having her on today. If you all want to learn more about Casey, go check her out at hellosundaycoaching.com. She's also on Instagram at Casey M. Davidson. And you all know, like I've said, the links will be in the show notes. 
Thank you everyone for being here today and keep striving for imperfect success. Bye. 